Father, I thank you that as we have gathered together here this morning, whether in this worship service together or online, that your word promises us where two or three are gathered together, in my name there am I in the midst of them. And Father, we thank you that that's not just a, a sweet presence, but as the song that we just worshiped and sang together says, he's the great I am. Father, I thank you that you have empowered the name of Jesus. I thank you for Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2 that say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you today for the name of Jesus that as we gather in this place, as we worship together, as we lift up that name of Jesus, we know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And we know that the presence of God is in this place today. Father, I pray, Lord, for those that have needs this morning. Father, I pray that by your power, by your spirit, that you would meet those needs. Lord, your word tells us that you are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would be moving, you would be healing, you would pre be providing, you would be leading today according to your will and to your plan for our lives. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you to church this morning. It's so great to be with you. My name is Kevin Taylor. I'm the lead pastor here at Silver Creek. And it's a joy to be with you. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I was excited about this special day because it has been 17 weeks since we have gathered together face-to-face to worship together here on our campus. And I'm so excited today, and we're going to continue our series that we uh, have been calling Pivot. And today I'd like to talk about as a church. Now, to say that things have, have changed, that we've gone through a lot of change as a church, really is an incredible understatement. Since COVID-19, we have observed things, we've done things very differently. You know, like I mentioned, we haven't had service in four months. I want you to think about this. We haven't produced a bulletin in the last 17 Sundays. And my administrative assistant, Kay, is really excited about that fact. We haven't passed an offering plate in the last 17 weeks. We haven't seen people shake hands and hug one another here as part of our worship time. We have done a lot of things online that we never imagined that we would do before. All of our services during that time have been online. We've had Bible studies online. Our giving has moved quite a bit to online. We've had 
Zoom connect group meetings. We've had Zoom prayer meetings. We've seen Zoom worship times. We've done, uh, we've done online weddings. We've done so many things. We've done membership classes that are online. I've done deacon meetings that are online. So many changes. This past week, I watched an announcement made by Pastor Andy Stanley. He's the pastor of North Point Community Church just outside Atlanta, Georgia. It's a church of about 40,000 in weekend attendance. And Pastor Stanley said this, that for the remainder of 2020, their church will not be conducting face-to-face worship services. Such incredible change that we've gone through as the church. But I want you to know that I believe that God still has a purpose for His church. Here at Silver Creek Church, we express that as taking the church to the community. And I believe that God still wants us to, us to, to, to carry out that mission here in our community. He wants us to remain effective. He wants us to remain relevant as we preach the message of Jesus Christ, not only to those that are a part of Silver Creek Church, but as we speak it out to those who are in our community. And today, in order for us to pivot, in order for us to shift our strategy, in order for us to remain effective, in order for us to remain relevant, I believe that there's four things that we need to get as a church, and I'd like to share those with you today. The first thing that I think we need to get is we need to get along. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul addresses some real big problems that are existing in the church. On an individual basis, he's talking to them about problems of some really specific immorality that's happening in the church. But then he also addresses some things on a corporate level, and he talks about the fact that there, uh, there's division in the church. And I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'd like to read a couple of verses, then we'll skip one and we'll pick it up again. But it begins with verse 17, and it says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Let's drop down to verse 20. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. We understand from history that 
the first century church, when they held the Lord's Supper, they would actually be having a meal together. As compared to how we do it today, we have made it really into something that we can do very easily with a larger group of people, and it's symbolic with the elements of the bread and the juice, and and of course, nobody gets um, more than just one of anything as the bread and the juice are passed around and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Now, when I go home at the end of the day and I walk in the door at my house, I'll tell you most evenings I am starving and I am ready to eat supper. And, and I walk into the kitchen and, and I see what my wife is doing. Is, is dinner, you know, partway ready, all the way ready? Has it not been started yet? And what can I do to help? And, and when she makes that final call that it's time to eat dinner, I want you to know that I'm not going to be very far away. I am going to be ready to eat dinner. And if my family does not show up, and if they are, are dragging, if they're lollygagging, if they're taking their time, I am the one that's going to say, you know what, let's pray and eat. Let's just get the show on the road because I'm hungry. And by the time everybody gets gathered, what happens is they'll begin to bust my chops. They'll say, Dad, why, why were you so impatient? You know? And really what they're saying is that, that in essence, I'm, I'm being rude by starting before them. Now, when my wife prepares a meal, a lot of times she prepares that meal based on how many of us will be eating that meal together, and that'll make a difference in how many pieces of chicken that she will prepare, let's say, for a given meal. So I can't just eat as much as I want. And, and sometimes I kind of look at her and I say, really, is this going to be enough? And, and she'll say, if we need any more than, if we need any more than that, we're, we're just pigs. And my answer to that is, I'm okay with that. So we sit down to eat and sometimes, if, and, and I want you to imagine that if I sat down and I began eating before anybody else got to the table and I ate more than I was supposed to eat, someone else is not going to get dinner that night. Or they're going to have to make something uh, different for themselves. And that is something that is rude, it's inconsiderate, um, it's unkind of me to do that. And that's exactly what was happening in the church in the first century in Corinth. They would get together for what they called their love feast. This was them celebrating, remembering the Lord's death until he came, the way Jesus told them to at the Last Supper. They got together for this meal, and some of them, Paul said, were, they were arriving early and going off and having their own independent suppers, leaving not enough or nothing at all for others who would literally go hungry. It's not surprising that Paul would say earlier in his letter that there were jealousy and quarreling in the church. Some of them would say, well, I, I, you know, I really like Paul's preaching. Others would say, I really like Apollos' preaching. That would be like today, you and I having an argument over who we liked best. Is it Stephen Furtick or Andy Stanley or Craig Groeschel or some other well-known preacher? But it produced 
It produced division in the church. It produced a, a, a sense of, of, of division between people in the church. Now, what happens if we become divided as a church? What happens when that division spills out to other people? Well, I'll tell you what it does. It really confuses Everyone who observes us, it sends the wrong message because we fail to show that we are the body of Christ. I want to read from John chapter 13, verse 35. And these are Jesus' words to us. By this, will every, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one if you love one another i want you to understand and i want to grasp this as well that when we are divided when we are not unified together that we send a message to the world that is that we are something other than jesus disciples you see, it's only when we love each other. It's only when there's a sense of unity that people can understand that we are followers of Christ. In my devotions, I'm reading the book of John. And this morning, reading in chapter 5, talks about the unity that exists between Jesus and the Father. Jesus literally said, I can't cannot do anything apart from the Father. There's such unity there. And when you and I and the church at large, when we do not have unity, the world cannot tell who we're with. The world cannot tell who we follow. And if we want to pivot, if we want to shift strategy, if we want to be relevant, if we want to be effective, if we want to, to really have a voice for God in our community, we need to get along. Number two, we need to get rid of it. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you had a garage sale or a rummage sale? Those are awesome, and there's something that they do for us. Now, what do you do with the stuff that you've got together and you have spread out on tables in your garage and in your driveway? What do you do with those things if you don't sell them at your rummage sale? I'll tell you what you should do with those things. You should take them to Silver Creek Thrift. Because then we can use them and sell them for ministry purposes and we're going to be able to do outreach in our community. But it feels good. We don't, we don't want to keep those things. We don't want to bring them back in the house. When we, when we sell things at a rummage sale or when we load up our vehicle with stuff and we take it to the thrift store, what does that do for us? It does something. It makes us feel good. It's literally, it's like a cleansing that's taking place. I would say not only emotionally, but I would even say spiritually. Webster talks about this phrase, get rid of it, as no, uh, um, something that's no longer, you're not affected by something. And so we realize that things have an effect on us. If you want to understand 
what I'm talking about. Uh, just think to yourself the last time you got something brand new. Whether it's a new car, whether it's new carpet, whatever it is, the last time you got something brand new and how all of a sudden you were changed by that thing. You, you, you park that new vehicle way out on the end of the lot so that no one else is around so that they won't door ding you. You make sure that everybody's going to take off their shoes when they walk on your new carpet. Why? Because we are affected by those things. And the idea of getting rid of something means that that thing no longer has an effect on us. Let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I did some study in some of my commentaries, and one of them talked about the first part of this verse, verse 32, 31 rather, as being a process. And step one in this process is it, uh, of, of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander. Step one is, is just a readiness to be offended, a readiness to break out in anger that just exists. The second step is this passionate outburst. Something happens and this readiness to be offended, this readiness to break out in anger, it passionately just, just comes to the surface. The third step is that there's this, this, this loud fury, this burst of wrath. And then step four is where the temper begins to cool, but there's a lasting resentment that remains. And I would even say that that lasting resentment is what fuels that underlying readiness to be offended and to break out in anger. It just allows it to be there and it allows it to stay at the surface so that it can quickly raise its head. Paul tells the Ephesians that they need to get rid of this stuff. Don't let these things affect you anymore. In fact, he goes on and he says, not only do you need to get rid of these and, and make sure that these things are not affecting you, I want you to replace those things. You know, when, when we have a big rummage sale and we get rid of a lot of stuff, what do we do? We replace it with more stuff. Now, we want to replace it with a higher quality or a higher grade of stuff. But we eventually, we replace it. Paul said, don't just get rid of it, but now I want you to replace it with something else. And I want you to replace it with kindness. I want you to replace it with compassion. I want you to replace it with forgiveness. In order for us, as the church, post-COVID, in order for us to be effective, in order for us to be relevant, in order for us to speak a message of the gospel that our community and our world will understand and comprehend and accept, we need to make sure that we're getting rid of those things. Those things that are causing us 
to be divided. Those things that are, that are allowing anger to burn inside of us, those things that are allowing that sort of division, we need to make sure that we're getting rid of that stuff. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He said, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. The word rid there that he's using in the Greek it means to lay aside, it means to renounce, it means to stow it away or put it away. We, we need to take those things in our lives that Paul is talking about and Peter is talking about and we need to stow them away, we need to put them away, we need to lay them aside so that when things don't go my way, that I'm not quick and ready to be offended. So that when someone says something that doesn't sit just right with me, that I don't quickly break out in anger against them and then begin to verbally retaliate behind their back. If we're going to be relevant, if we're going to be effective, we must get rid of these things. Number three, we need to get to it. Now, this summer, we should be watching on television the 2020 Olympics from Tokyo. I love the Olympics. I love being able to cheer on Americans. I love being able to see the best that the world has. And I was thinking this week about that and... and uh, one of the past Olympians that, in fact, has won more medals than anyone else is a swimmer whose name is Michael Phelps. He's won 28 Olympic medals. He's participated in the Athens Games, the Beijing, London, and Rio Games. 23 gold medals, three silver medals, and two bronze medals. Can you imagine what it would be like to be someone like Michael Phelps, to be recognized all over the world as the greatest Olympian, the most decorated Olympian of all time, to be lauded, to be clamored over, to feel and, and to know that, that you can say, I am the best. That would be just such an amazing feeling and the achievements of, of people like uh, an athlete like Phelps or maybe some, some uh, incredible business leader uh, in the world to feel like you are the best, that you have risen to the top of all humanity, that you have achieved the ultimate. I want to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. And, and as I read them, I want you to, to really hang on with me here till we get through them. But it says this, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Now, here's what I want to focus. I want to focus on that last little bit of that sentence, to have the same mindset as Christ. What was Jesus' mindset? The mindset that Jesus had was this, that although he was God, 
because we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He laid aside his deity that although he was God, he became nothing. He became a human. He put on flesh. You see, these, these people like Olympians like Michael Phelps or, or, or other big name people in our world that we look at as being the top, they've achieved the top of humanity. By becoming a human, Jesus lowered himself. He became nothing in comparison to who he was. And not only did he become a human, but he became a servant. He took on the form of a human, but more, even even just as important, he took on the heart of a servant. The Bible says that Jesus came to serve rather than to be served. He was willing to come down to our level. Let's look at Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, where the psalmist says this, What is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angel and crowned them with glory and honor. I want you to think about this for a moment because Jesus didn't lower himself to the angels. Jesus lowered himself to mankind who were lower than the angels. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke and stars came into existence. The Bible says that without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. He's the one that made the rhinoceros. He's the one that created the oceans and divided them from the land. The one who created the universe. And he lowered himself and he took on human form and he became a servant. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11 Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. If we're going to be relevant, if we're going to be effective as a church post-COVID, we must serve as never before. We've got to get to it. We've got to get to it. We've got to take on ourselves that example of Jesus and serve the way Jesus served. Number four, we've got to get on with it. Right here in our own community at NMU, there was a student named Howard. And Howard, like many of the students here today in our community, Howard went to work for Starbucks. And at some point, Howard went on vacation to Italy and while he was in Italy, he visited these, these European coffee houses. And when he came back home, he convinced Starbucks that they should try to duplicate these coffee houses. That they should try to duplicate the feel of those coffee houses when people would come in. In fact, he was so successful in that endeavor in convincing that to Starbucks that he decided that he was actually going to buy Starbucks back when they had 17 stores. The cornerstone concept that he had 
was called third place. Third place was another place outside the home and work that people can gather and build a sense of community. Now, Starbucks has over 30,000 locations around the world. When COVID-19 hit, it made an impact during their most recent quarter of over $3 billion they lost. They decided that they were going to, and this was early on, in fact, early March, they decided they would be closing 400 stores. But they also planned on opening 600, but due to the virus, they readjusted that number to 300 virus or 300 stores they would open because of the virus, and that they were going to begin to change their focus. And the focus that they would change to was the drive-through service. Rocks Brewer, who is the chief uh, operating officer of Starbucks, says this, our relationship with our customers starts the moment they think of Starbucks. They connect with us. Their third place is everywhere they're holding our cup. No matter their journey after leaving our stores, that feeling of comfort stays with them. So here we have this, this, this incredibly huge coffee company, and they are changing what has brought them to the place of being number one. They are beginning to pivot. They are beginning to shift their strategy from the third place by understanding that a person's third place can be anywhere that they are when they have that cup. Those cups are so iconic. Those cups are so, just, just people hold on to that cup. I'm going a, I'm to a drink a, a cup of coffee while it's hot. But man, when you buy a Starbucks, it's costly enough. You've got you to gotta drink that whole thing whether it's hot or not. But the idea is that they understand that they can't uh, just stay where they are. They've got to get on with it. They can't stay with just their original idea. They've got to begin to pivot. They've got to change because the world is changing around them. I looked at the research and it's not uh, uncommon to run across information that on a yearly basis here in America, we can expect 5,000 churches to close per year. And that's a conservative number. That would mean that about 100 churches close every week. And this is pre-COVID. This has nothing to do with the virus. And, and the expectation is that, that that number will increase dramatically due to COVID for churches that are not in good positions, that are not strong. Uh, they are not going to make it. But 100 a week. That means that over the last 17 weeks, while we have not met, there would be 1,700 churches around the country that would have closed their doors and they are no longer open. As churches are coming back to meeting face-to-face -face in gatherings because of limitations that are being placed on them by state government, but also just because of concerns about the virus, 
churches are seeing an attendance of anywhere between 20% and 50%. We've surveyed our own church family, and about 35% have said, you know what, for the time being, we're going to stay at home, and we're going to watch online, and we're going to worship together that way. I understand that completely. Currently, we are limited to a gathering size of 50 people. I've been told that our governor is going to be making another statement, and by the time you see this, she will have made that statement. I don't know what that's going to be. She could change that limit. She could raise it. She could lower it. The concern is that, that maybe in parts of the state that that will be lowered, in parts of the state that will be going back in the number of phases that we're at currently. The truth is, we don't know how long we'll be at this place. We don't know how long this is going to last. And let me tell you, as you undoubtedly already know this morning, it's difficult to make people feel welcome from behind a mask. It's tough. We're getting ready for our block party next month. We're going to have to have a drive-through block party event. We're used to having nearly a thousand people from this community in our building on the day of the block party. And we're going to have to totally change that. Why? Because of the limitations that we have. We've got to do things differently. Ministry will never be exactly the same again. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 with me. And as we do, I want you to look at some specific words. He says this, and let us consider. That's the first word I really want you to focus on. How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up. That's another thing I want you to, to focus on. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more, as you see the day approaching, encouraging one another is the, the, the next thing I want you to really think about. When I grew up, my church was our third place. We, we were at home, we were at school, and we were at church. It was our third place. And now, here as we're dealing with coming out of this pandemic and we see rises in some places and, and flat lines in others, but we realize that we're more isolated now than ever. It's difficult. We can't look at the church exactly the same way as we always have because for some of us, the idea of church is having to be together with everybody else in the building at the same time. And we realize that things have changed, that we as a church, we must pivot, and we need to consider, we've got to think of new ways. We've got to not give up because the body of Christ and, and, and engaging with one another is so important, and we've got to consider how we can more effectively do this. 
So let's not give up, but let's continue to encourage each other. So I ask you the question, how can we encourage each other? How can we stay more connected? How can we get connected? What are some of the ways that we can do that? And I'll tell you, we've got to treat the body of Christ differently now than we did before. Because before, if you just showed up on Sunday morning and that was the extent of your experience, if that's what you do, chances are you may never have a good connection with the church ever again. You are going to have to look for intentional ways to get connected to others within the body of Christ. You might have to join a Zoom connect group. Next, rather uh, this week, later this week, which is previous to me speaking this on Sunday, we're going to have our, our uh, Feeding America event, and we're going to be wearing masks during Feeding America. It's, it's difficult. It's a challenge. We don't want to do a drive-up event, but it's the, the only way that we're able to do it. We've got to pivot. We've got to change. We've got to get on with it. And we've got to consider how we can engage and not simply consume church as if it is something that, 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 is, that tangibly can be consumed. We've got to engage in it. And if we're going to remain effective, if we're going to be relevant in our community, if we're going to be effective in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to get on with it. We've got to pivot. We've got to accept the fact that ministry is never going to be the same again. I remember years ago, someone walked through the doors of the church and they came from another church and they said, they took my church, they changed my church. Friends, the church hasn't been taken from us, but our world has been changed. And as the church, we must change. And it's not going to do us any good to drag our feet. It's not going to do us any good to complain or whine. We've got to accept the fact that change is happening and then ask ourselves, how can we get on with it? How can we be effective in today's world as the church. And let's get to it. I am so grateful that we are able to gather in person. I am so grateful that we are able to be together again. Whatever number that is at, I am grateful. And I pray that as a church, that we will look to see how we can shift strategy, how we can pivot so that we can effectively proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, because the church is not dead. The church has never been closed. I thank you for people that are now part of Silver Creek Church that are from Arizona. 
I thank you for people that are a part of Silver Creek Church. That they're, they're from uh, Georgia. I thank you for people uh, that are from Troy, Michigan that are now a part of the church. I thank you, Lord, for people that are from uh, Cedarville that are part of Silver Creek Church. Father, we're connecting with people, even here in our own community, that pre-COVID had not come to our church, but now have been engaging with the body of Christ here at Silver Creek. Father, I pray, help us as a church to pivot. Help us, I pray, to shift to new strategies that will effectively reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you and I praise you. And I pray, God, that you would encourage us as we encourage one another, even with a smile as we gather here, but just for a few brief moments. Father, may our hearts be lifted up, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.